Our reading today is from 1 Samuel chapter 28. We're starting in verse 3 um, for the whole chapter through 25. Now Samuel was dead, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in his own town of Ramah. Saul had expelled the mediums and the spiritists from the land. The Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem, while Saul gathered all Israel and set up camp at Gilboa. When Saul saw the Philistine army, he was afraid. Terror filled his heart. He inquired of the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him by dreams or Urim or prophets. Saul then said to his attendants, find me a woman who is a medium, so I may go and inquire of her. There was one in Endor, they said. So Saul disguised himself, putting on other clothes. And at night, he and two men went to this woman. Consult a spirit for me, he said, and bring up for me the one that I name. But the spirit said to him, or the woman said to him, surely you know what Saul has done. He's cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why have you set a trap for my life to bring about my death? Saul swore to her by the Lord, as surely as the Lord lives, you will not be punished for this. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? Bring Samuel, he said. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried at the top of her voice and said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, Don't be afraid. What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. An old man wearing a robe is coming up, she said. Then Saul knew it was Samuel, and he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I am in great distress, Saul said. The Philistines are fighting against me, and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me, either by prophets or by dreams. So I've called called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel said, Why do you consult me, now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done what he predicted through me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also give the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone, for he had eaten nothing all that day and all that night. When the woman came to Saul, she saw that he was greatly shaken. She said, look, your servant has obeyed you. I took my life in my hands and did what you told me to do. Now please listen to your servant and let me give you some food so you may eat and have the strength to go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his men joined the woman in urging him and he listened to them. He got up from the ground and sat on the couch. The woman had a fattened calf at the house, which she butchered at once. She took some flour, kneaded it, and baked bread without yeast. Then she set it before Saul and his men, and they ate. That same night, they got up and left. Let's pray as we turn to the word of the Lord. Father, thank you for your sacred word. We pray that you would open our eyes to see what it wants us to see, and our ears to hear what you want us to hear, and our hearts to be softened when we so 
often have them calloused. Speak to us, we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, not many texts in the Bible talk about divination and the occult, or at least not give a depiction of someone like Saul going to a necromancer. That's That's a word, necromancy, or necromancer is the one that practices divination. Necromancy comes from two Greek words, necros, meaning death, and mancia, which just means divination. So it's a divination of the dead, speaking to the dead. You don't, you don't find a little Bible verses describing this. We literally had the context of this scene being Saul going to a medium, a necromancer, a spiritist, trying to speak to the dead. The context is pretty clear. Israel's in trouble. As Carl was just reading, note verse 4, the Philistines assembled and came and set up camp at Shunem. Saul and Israel gathered at Gilboa. And verse 5, when Saul saw the Philistine army, notice the end of verse 5, two ways it stated. He was afraid, i.e. terror filled his heart. There wasn't any room for hope. Terror filled it all. The point is clear. They were about to be annihilated. There was no chance. It was just simple numbers, bigger and stronger and more powerful. And so he was freaking out, and he's asking the Lord. He's inquiring of the Lord. Verse 6, he cried to the Lord, but the Lord did not answer him, interestingly, which throughout the Bible is a symbol of judgment. So every time you see the Lord doesn't answer, it's a symbol of judgment. That's exactly what this is. As Samuel explains later in the text. And notice it says he was pursuing by dreams. So he was hoping to get a dream and it was none. Or Urim. The Urim are these stones on the high priests. The, the, the decor on the, on the breastplate of the high priest. These black and white stones that would be kind of rolled out. Kind of to determine readings of the signs. Again, nothing was working. Not even the prophets. Everyone was silent. God was not speaking. He was judging Saul. Saul was not satisfied with that. He'd inquired and he heard nothing. So he says to his attendants, verse 7, find me a woman who is a medium. The actual phrase there is, find me a ghost whisperer. That's, that's the language. I mean, you could, often, you could translate it even ghost. Some translations, more rigid Hebrew translations would say, like ghost midwife. Like they're communicating with the deities. Basically, divination of the occult. Now, notice what the text started with in verse 3. If you, if you forgot the, the little history for the greater context of Israel, Saul had previously obeyed God and expelled the mediums and spirits from the land. Like God had said, you should have nothing to do with them. I'll talk about that in a minute. He wanted none of that. I am the one who leads you. I am the one who speaks to you. You listen to me. You don't try to engage with spiritual forces and demonic powers. That's not for my covenant people. So Saul literally, rather than what we just heard, surrendering all to God, is going to try to manipulate and navigate the situation and listen, hear, get guidance some other way. He knows there's nobody in Israel because he'd expelled them all. So he has to go just across the border to the village of Endor. 
So here the king leaves Israel to get guidance from God, goes to Endor, disguised, verse 8, disguised himself, probably took off his royal robes and garb and dressed like a normal commoner, went at night to the woman, consult the spirit for me, he said, and bring up the one that I name. Like imagine him walking into some of some, of some house or room, and it's dark, and there's a table, and they sit. You might imagine with all the occult and divination that is present even in our day. Maybe he slid across the bag of coins to pay her for her services, and he demands for this. And notice, he goes, leaves Israel, goes to a ghost whisperer, right? This necromancer who's going to speak to the dead. And in verse 9, she reminds him of the law. Like, literally, he just got rebuked by a medium. She says, surely you know what Saul has done. He's cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land. Basically, at the end of verse 9, she's saying, you're not trying to get me in trouble, are you? And look at Saul's response. Saul swore to her by the Lord. Again, we think of, we, we talk about using the Lord's name in vain. We talk about swearing. And a lot of times we've truncated that and simplified it to breaking that commandment to just saying G-O-D. Fair enough, that's an inappropriate use. But the primary way we take the Lord's name as vain is using his name to gain something or for some authoritative way. A clean example of breaking the commandment. He has, he's rebuked by a medium who lets him know he shouldn't be doing this. And then he uses the Lord's name against himself that she won't get in trouble for any of this. Let me say this as we look at just those opening verses, verses 3 to 10. God's word is clear. Movements and practices involving divination and the occult are forbidden and Saul here proves the point. I put in your notes a few passages that describe from the Old Testament. I didn't even need to go to the New, but they're in the New Testament as well. I just picked a few in the context of the Old Covenant and Saul's own day. Leviticus 19.31, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Verse 31 there, Leviticus 19, that's like God's signature. Like the President of the United States or whatever it may be. Like, I am the Lord your God. Like, this is my command. Have nothing to do with them. A major important text is Deuteronomy 18, verses 9 to 3. And it's talking about living in a world where these things are common. And, and, and we could cut to the chase and just even say, it's not like it's only in the Old Testament times. Divination, the occult, demonic forces, spiritual powers, those things are present in our day as well. So heed these for our own context. But here in the Old Covenant, here's what was stated. Deuteronomy 18.9, when you enter the land your God is giving, you do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations, i.e. the non-believers, the pagans, those outside of the covenant of God's people. So don't think of it as a nationality thing. Think of it as a covenantal thing. You are God's people, covenanted with him. He is your king. He is your God. Everyone else is covenanting to some other form of gods, some other religious belief. So this isn't just a Israel versus the nations. This is God's people, kingdom of God versus kingdom of humanity. That's you and me today. 
That verse 9 could speak into us. When you live in your own homeland, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of those who are not God's covenant people. Then he goes on in verse 10. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire. Common practice in pagan religion. Who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of these same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. You can see why Saul, according to verse 3 in 1 Samuel 28, had done just that. He was obeying the command of God. It was pretty clear. Finally, just a little poke ahead into 1 Chronicles 10.13, which is describing the end result of what happened here in 1 Samuel 28. Saul died because he was unfaithful to the Lord. He did not keep the word of the Lord and even consulted a medium for guidance, i.e., read 1 Samuel 28. Brothers and sisters, the Bible commands Christians to have nothing to do with channeling necromancy, crystals, horoscopes, astrology, paranormal psychology, aspects of reincarnation, you name it. These practices are no longer outliers in our culture, hidden in the dark, like in places like Endor in this text. They have become normalized and even syncretized, a word that means blended together, mixed in with normal cultural things, like interlocking hands or you can't tell which finger belongs to which hand. They've become so mixed into the things of normality in our culture that it's around us all the time. This is not new. Uh, th- this was the case in the world in which Israel lived, just as it is for God's people today. And, and to be honest with you, this is a big enough topic, thinking through divination and the occult, that arguably we might need to just have an entire growth hour on the topic. We might need to take a few weeks and talk about what is it and what's it look like and what does God's word prescribe for us regarding these things. But ultimately, we need to know that this is the Lord's desire. And what Saul is doing here is detestable, to quote God's own words in Deuteronomy. In fact, the irony, we hear this necromancer, this ghost whisperer, is rebuking Saul for even coming to her in the first place. Don't you love how the Bible uses irony to show us the point? She's letting him know by even coming to her, he's breaking God's law. Now we get to a scene that's interesting. How many scenes in the Bible do we have of a necromancer bringing forth the dead? It's a weird scene. It's in the Bible. And here it is in verses 11 to 14. And I want to tell you, like, the, like other things in the Bible, God uses this scene to depict his power and his authority. Let me explain. Verse 11. I hope you have your Bibles open or looking on some device. I'm reading from the NIV, 1 Samuel 28, 11. Then the woman asked, right? So picture him sliding some coins across the table. Then the woman asked, whom shall I bring up for you? 
Bring up Samuel, he said. Now, now watch the jump between verse 11 and 12. There's no incantation or saying or statement. There's nothing she appears to do to bring him up. In fact, the, the very next thing you have is the necromancer freaking out. The opposite of her being in control. So just, just note that, right? Like God's word is so good at guiding us through the process to let us see what we're supposed to see. Like a spotlight on the main actor on the stage, it, it points to what we're supposed to see. It's not like all of a sudden she does something or says something to look like she's in control. Look at verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she, I love this, she cried at the top of her voice. Like you can't, you can't describe a dramatic freak out more than that in the Bible. Like that, that's a freak out. Like rather than being in control because she's the ghost whisperer, she's freaking out. And she figures out real quick, this isn't her doing. She figures out that she isn't able to have any kind of authority over the dead. She's, she's not facilitating the encounter. She says, why have you deceived me? You are soul. Like she figures it out. The king said to her, don't be afraid. Worst advice ever. Like he cares less about her. He cares less about God. He's cared less about his own kingdom and his own people. Don't be, don't be afraid. What do you see? What do you see? The woman said, I see a ghostly figure coming up out of the earth. What does he look like? He asked. She said, an old man wearing a robe is coming up. Then Saul knew it was Samuel. And he bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. Now, did this event happen? What actually is going on here? To be fair, this text is filled with some mystery and unanswerables. Little is said of the practice of necromancy or spiritist work and divination. She's clearly described as out of control. One significant thing might simply be her fear suggests she is not dealing with her familiar spirits or the normal demonic forces she normally works. Like in that moment, God entered into the equation, as he always does, because he always is, to make a significant point. There is no domain in which God is not king. You can't go across the border to Endor, meet with some ghost whisperer, and think you can avoid dealing with God. There is no domain in which God is not king or evil over which God does not rule and judge. He is the God of the living and he is the God of the dead. He is Lord over the good and he is sovereign over the demons. And you're not dressing up and hiding from him in any way, in any place. Was it actually Samuel that appeared? They have a bit of a conversation in the next part of the text. Was it, was it a apparition, a God-formed vision? Brothers and sisters, this is a bit of a, of a mystery. Uh, he, scripture likes to answer some questions and not others. Uh, we, we are in a culture that loves to ask the how questions. We ask it about Genesis, we ask it about Revelation, we ask it about everything in between. It's not answering the how. 
It's not even explaining fully the what. What is happening? It explains why. Why did God do this? To rebuke Saul. To teach us that he is God over the living and the dead. And maybe even the who question. This woman had nothing to do with this. This was no normal moment of ghost whispering. This was God finally saying, all right, Saul, let me give you a vision. Let me say one last thing to you. Please know this is not scripture approving mediums or a necromancer. This is God emphatically using evil to rebuke evil. This is an extreme form of judgment. When God takes an evildoer's tactics and uses them against himself. God is exerting his dominance over evil. And this should give us, here we are the readers, right? This should give us great comfort as we live in an evil-filled world because there are demonic forces at work. There is a world filled with necromancy and spiritists and the things that we talked about a few minutes ago. And we as Christians know that God is the God of the living and the dead. There is no domain in which he is not king or evil over which he does not rule and judge. Praise be to God. Well, the text ends with an interesting scene. The last conversation between Samuel and Saul. And, and I want to frame it this way. The, the, again, filled with irony. God uses a dead man to tell Saul that he's a dead man. Now think about it with me. He uses a dead man to tell Saul he's a dead man. Like talk about, that was good, God. Hey, you're a dead man, says who? Me, I'm dead. Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul says, I'm in great distress. The Philistines are fighting against me. I'm, I'm reading verse 15. The Philistines are fighting against me and God has departed from me. He no longer answers me either by prophets or by dreams. So I have called on you to tell me what to do. Samuel acts like it's pretty obvious. He says in verse 16, why do you consult me now that the Lord has departed from you and become your enemy? How'd you like to hear that? Verse 17, the Lord has done what he predicted through me. Ironically, rather than God not speaking to Saul, he told him exactly what he was going to do. He'd already spoken. He need not say more. Middle of 17, the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. Now listen to verse 19. This is a killer verse. From the grave, here comes the judgment. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And here is the potent part. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. Did you just hear that? Where is Samuel? He's dead. Tomorrow, you and your sons, they'll be with me. Judgment from the grave. Can you imagine hearing those words? How would you respond? Well, probably a little bit like Saul did in verse 20. Immediately. It wasn't like he sat there for a while. I was like, what does he mean by that? Immediately, Saul fell full length. 
Like picture somebody passing out, their knees, they just like straight down, boom. Filled with fear because of Samuel's words. He was literally inconsolable. Again, we might have a ton of questions. Okay, like, was that really Samuel? Did God bring him back? Was that a vision or a dream? God doesn't want you. Didn't necessarily know all the how. But he wants you to see who? God. And he wants you to see what God's purpose is. As we have seen in numerous places in 1 Samuel, Saul was never to be God's king. In fact, if you've been with us in this series at all, Saul's very rise to power was itself Israel rejecting God as their king. God said, I'm your king. Have I not redeemed you from evil rulers like Pharaoh in Egypt? Have I not provided everything you need? And you just want what that six foot four kind of presidential looking fella and you don't want me? You really think that's wise? Oh, we do, God. Yeah, we do. Well, this is the king you're going to get. I don't want you to miss something. This judgment from the grave in light of the larger biblical story sets up a beautiful contrast with Jesus and his graveside announcement. God's king was not ultimately just David. As the Bible's progressively going to tell us, God's true and final king was Jesus, who interestingly also spoke from the grave. Because when he lived his perfect life, he died a sacrificial death, declaring as he was resurrected from the grave, not an announcement of judgment, but he can say to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. What a different grave announcement. What a contrast we're supposed to see. Saul's judgment from the grave contrasts the resurrected Christ's announcement of victory. An announcement not of death, but of life. Now, there's a lot here that we could end with by way of application. We could talk about the occult and divination. And to be honest, I bet probably that kind of a topic is a little bit attractive, maybe even in an unhealthy way, to be honest. There's probably an unhealthy attraction to that topic that we just need to know about and be sensitive to. And it would take another time, even a growth hour, to kind of talk through what is that practice, how is it manifesting itself in our culture today, how does the Bible prescribe for Christians to respond and live in such a place? And, and we, we will have to do that in due course. There's also a lot we could see from Saul, right? We've seen this before with David and with Saul. It'd be easy for us to just kind of point that finger and kind of laugh at Saul's, how could he do that? When you and I feel that same pressure, when God doesn't seem to be giving the answers we want to know, or when life gets difficult, we want to negotiate and, and outmaneuver in some way. And maybe you haven't gone to the ghost whisperer in Endor, but you may have been tempted to do a whole lot of other things. And God says, as we were led by Glenna to sing today, I surrender all. That's hard for us to do. Saul couldn't do it. How will we respond? 
right? Let Scripture be a mirror, not just a a, a comedic event where we can laugh at someone else's stupidity, but God gave this to us not so we could pick on Saul, but we could see ourselves. That's what our heart wants to do. But when I think about that contrast between the messages out of the grave, Saul's message of judgment and Christ's message of victory, when I think about God reigning over life and death, it's worth asking the question if you and I here, all of us, have also let Christ be our King. Maybe you've already understood the gospel. Maybe you've believed for a long time. And this text warns you about the spiritual movements and practices in our culture or the manipulative bent of soul and, and, and good. But, but maybe you're sitting here or you're visiting with us and you haven't let Jesus be your Lord and Savior. And I would just encourage you to let whatever impulse you feel with that, whichever way the Spirit of God ministers to you as we study His Word, that you'd respond. Maybe you'd come up and talk to one of the elders who will be standing up here to talk and pray with people. Or you come see me or one of our other pastors or staff. Or you came with somebody and on the way home you say, hey, let me ask you a couple questions about how you came to believe in Christ or what you understand the gospel to be. Like, don't, don't be afraid of those questions. In fact, pursue those. Because as we sing as a church, we want to surrender all. And for some of us, that means surrender our control. Some of us, that means surrender our cultural practices that touch upon the divination that this text rebukes. But all of us need to surrender as Jesus. He's the king, we're not. He's the Lord, we're not. He's the savior we need. Let's not forget that. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in Christ we have a word from the grave, a final word that sin and death have been defeated and eternal life belongs to us. And I pray that you would minister from your word this morning, that your spirit will have been speaking in and among all of us sitting here. Whether it was a rebuke about divination practices so common in our culture or our own self-reliance like Saul to negotiate and manipulate and not to surrender to Christ. Father, it may even be those who just have yet to make Jesus their Redeemer, their Savior, their Lord. However your word ministered among these men and these women, these young people, Father, would you do your work among us? As I prayed at the beginning, that our hearts would soften, that our eyes would see, that our ears would hear what your word says to us. Thank you that unlike what Saul experienced, you have not been silent for your people. Thank you for your word. Help us to respond appropriately to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, when we gather here, we can and we can.